Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. Before we start talking about music, I want to talk about Tom Brady's balls. Well, who doesn't? In this part of the country, <laughs> that's all they're talking about. Exactly. Now, you know I don't care about sports ball very much. Yes, obviously. And, and I find out about sports ball from your Twitter feed. And there was this thing about someone paid more than $500,000 for the last touchdown ball that Tom Brady threw in his career a couple hours before Tom Brady announced that he was coming back to play for another team. It's classic. It's sports, man. It's what could be better. What I want to know is who sells the ball. Is it Tom Brady or the team? Oh, you know, I don't know that. I, you know, I don't know. That's actually to accept that story at face value is kind of weird, I suppose. <laughs> we've suddenly turned yeah, because... into, we've morphed into a sports talk show. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a financial show because what I'm thinking, and I was thinking of this in terms of rock and roll memorabilia as, as well, things that cost money because they're, you know, they've touched a famous person. If Tom Brady was selling the ball, then he should be charged with fraud. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. If the team is selling the ball, then they obviously didn't know. Now, I'm pretty sure that the rules around things like auctions and, and art sales regarding provenance are very, very strict. And there's no way that the guy is going to pay for the ball. He's going to just not take it and not pay for it. Oh, well, it's not it's not what it what it purports to be. It is no longer the last touchdown ball that, well, ostensibly it is it is not the last football that he will throw a touchdown. With. Well, I would argue that if this happened a few months later and he decided to come back, it would depend on the terminology of the lot at the auction house. If it says his career last touchdown ball, then it's false. And I would think that someone would have a claim. And the reason I'm thinking of this is, uh, you know that I buy some like limited edition records and sell them on eBay and they're worth more because they're limited editions. Wait a minute. You buy more than just limited edition one item. You buy limited edition anything. No, that's right. not true. I only buy for, for bands I'm interested in. Yeah. I never buy more than one. Okay, but I'm talking about you buy other articles, other products, like a limited edition painting or a limited book. Or yeah, books and things or, like that. Yeah. yeah. And the whole point of a limited edition is that it's limited. And if you start selling more afterwards or if, if, you're, if the description of the edition is subverted by later sales, you can be in a lot of trouble. I, I, I think the Grateful Dead must be very disappointed that their first – Phil Maurice, February, March 69, the first big box set that had 10 CDs, they only made 10,000 copies. It sold out like in minutes. And they should have done more because they can't sell that set anymore. They've sold a couple of the uh, individual shows. Same with Europe 72. When that came on sale, there were only 7,200 copies. This was big. It was $450. They crashed the, the Grateful Dead servers, the website died, and they sold out in three days. So there is a certain value in these things that is implicit when you're buying them. And if all of a sudden something changes, then that's, you know, if Tom Brady was selling the ball, that's fraud. But this might also, this ball thing, and we'll move on to something else later, but maybe now the ball is more valuable because it's been caught up in this Michigas. It's uh, now it, it, this is the ball that was purported to be Tom Brady's last touchdown football, but actually it's not. 
So you mean like the stamp with the upside down airplane? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. It's like, yes, exactly. Just like that. <laughs> it's true that in stamp collecting, there is a great deal of value for those misprints because there are so few of them. Yeah. It's, again, it's the rarity of it. Right. But to me, that kind of doesn't make sense. Just because they made a mistake on a stamp, who cares? Why is it worth more? It's the whole... Well, that's what I, I mean. mean this, this, the perceived value is artificial, and it just depends on what people are willing to pay. Well, well, but isn't that true about everything? <laughs> you pay what... Yeah, I guess. Well, you can still barter a sheep for a few bushels of wheat around here. I suppose. Well, in your neighborhood, over here, you can't do that. No. They don't allow sheep. So speaking of money... 60 years. The Rolling Stones are doing a 60-year tour. And this is interesting because, well, first of all, it's the first major rock band to do a 60-year tour. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But when you think about it, Elvis is dead, so, you know, he can't do a 60-year tour. But the Rolling Stones, in recent years, they've toured every three years. And it's like they'll do a tour. It takes them a while to do it in different legs. And, you know, it's pretty much a year for them to rehearse and tour. But now they're just coming off last year's tour, and they're doing a limited number of dates. In the UK slash EU, which I think is funny. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, is that the way it's going to be from now on? The UK slash EU? yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, you could say in Europe. Well, that used to be able to cover it. but Well, geographically, I suppose it does. Right. Now, we don't know if they're going to do any shows in the States or in Russia or any place like that. They haven't said anything like that yet. It's just Europe right now, and I suspect that's probably – they want to go month by month because, you know, the health of the the band members. You know, I was thinking about this. It's interesting. It's 60 years, but it's really not the Rolling Stones. I mean, it's essentially Keith and Ronnie and Mick playing to – you know, playing with a professional rhythm section. So, uh, you know, they don't have Charlie anymore. Well, until until Charlie died, I mean, he could have held out to get to the 60 years, but he didn't. And and even Ronnie wasn't there in the beginning. So it, you know, it's really it's the Keith and Mick band. Right, but what I mean what there. I mean is the performance is really Ronnie and Keith. There's no trouble for the band is what I'm saying to mount a small tour because it's really just Keith and Ronnie and Mick doing i mean they could sit around the three of them could sit there like crosby stills and nash and play acoustic songs if they wanted to (laughs) but the the rest of the bombast is 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 yeah professionals yeah 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 and even arguably when charlie watts was there he didn't really right well charlie isn't that kind of he's not an arena drummer yeah (laughs) you know yeah so what i was interested in is how much are the tickets and for now the only tickets available where you can see a price are vip tickets Liverpool, the there are two VIP packages. One of them includes early entry and first access to the pit. We'll explain what the pit is in a second. Both of them include a special VIP welcome gift, a limited edition tour gift, commemorative VIP tour laminate and matching lanyard, blah, blah, blah. Tickets for this cost £375 for the Let It Bleed package. That's the cheaper one. And £575 for the Beggar's Banquet package, which is the one with early access to the pit. Now, interestingly, I had loaded the page, and now I went back and reloaded and it says, sales have not begun. When ticket sales begin, you'll be assigned a random place in the queue. So I, I must have caught it just when they were going on sale when I saw those tickets. Maybe I should buy a pair of tickets and, you know, and fog them. But what's interesting is that's not that expensive. I mean, I, I saw Dylan twice from the front row. It was about... 200 pounds a ticket, something like that. Someone I know in the States saw the Eagles 
in Atlanta very recently for his 60th birthday, paid 200 bucks for nosebleed seats. So this doesn't seem ridiculously expensive. I mean, it's expensive, let's face it. But compared to other ticket prices, it doesn't seem, ah, I see the other prices now. Here we go. They start at seventy nine ninety five. What do you get for the far end of the? You get the pit. You don't get the pit for that. No, the pit's three hundred. The golden circle. So let, let's do. I'm going to put a link to this page in the show notes, and I, and I want you to try to picture this. You have the stage coming out from the left, right? So they're showing the stage. The band will be facing left. This to is right. on the ticket when you're when you're negotiating when you're figuring out where your tickets are, right? This is the diagram of the arena. This yeah. is the seating plan for the arena. Right. And so you have the stage, which has a big penis coming out into the golden circle. Of course. On either side, you have the pit, which is two red testicles. Right. And <laughs> it really does look... And then you have pitch seating. No, sorry, pitch standing beyond the golden circle. I assume the golden circle is seated and the pitch standing because 170 for golden circle and only 100 pounds for pitch standing... So I, I would say that with the cheap seats at 80 and the mid-price seats around 100, that's not excessive for what it is in terms of concerts. Yeah, I, it's funny that, be, you know, I remember seeing Eric Clapton at the Providence Civic Center for $7. Yeah, you know I, I mean? remember seeing and, and, tons but, of concerts for 10 bucks, but that was, you know, 40 years ago. We could complain about how expensive ticket prices are, but I don't think so because these are very extravagant shows. Yes. I mean, you know, I mean... I could decide to go to Disney World or I could go see the Rolling Stones in a, in a really interesting uh, and put on a really good show with Mick Jagger dancing on the penis. Yeah, there. well, especially if you're in the Golden Circle because that's well, it's the head of the penis where he comes up all the way in the front. Okay, you know, this is just getting too much with the... <laughs> but it, it, it is interesting to imagine that there's a band that is now doing a 60th anniversary tour. Well, you know, I I seem to remember watching because uh, watching a lot of public television, and every so often they would they would have these specials where bands from the fifties, the doo wop bands, would get together, and they'd re either reunite or, in some cases, some of these bands had continued on playing, you know, supper clubs and things like that through the sixties and the seventies. But anyway, you'd see these guys, and they'd be in their sixties and seventies, in some cases eighties, and they can still manage. They, you know, it can be done. Um, I don't know how exciting but this is the it is. First, this is the first major artist. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe, that okay. That hit 60 years. Yeah. You know, you've got the occasional, you know, Pete Seeger was still going when he was 99 years old, right? Yeah, right. So, but this is different. This is, you know, major artist with, as you said, quite a spectacular tour, you know, performance, a big stage show and all that. And I wonder if this is the last time, because th there was a clip of an interview with Keith that I saw on Twitter, I think some CBS morning show, something like that. And this, the, the question had been asked if, if he and Mick had thought about selling the rights to their catalog, because we've talked about publishing catalogs. He said, oh, the only people who do that is when you're old and you're not creating anything new. Ha, ha, ha. Cigarette-laced cough, it comes out. Well, listen, I, um, it just so happens that Keith Richards got together his, his band, The Expensive Winos, for a charity concert over the weekend. He did four songs at the Beacon Theater. I watched it on Sunday morning. Beautiful time to watch that. And those guys can still kick. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, Keith's up there, but they're still having a good time. It was great to see The Expensive Winos, Wadi Wachtel. I was so happy to see him. Ivan, uh, what's his name? Ivan Neville was on piano and Steve Jordan on drums. It was 
they played really well. They did four songs, three Stone songs, I think. Let It Bleed. They did uh, You Got the Silver. And they rocked out, and they had they had some fun. So like I said, I don't think it's any it's difficult for Keith and Ronnie to get up there and just play the licks they've been playing for the past 30 years. They can, but it's not going to be uh, 1969. You know, that's, it's just not. No, it's it's obviously not. But again, this is quite a show, and Ronnie doesn't move much. Keith, he moves a little bit, but Mick is the one, you know, he's in really good shape. He really is. He had that um, heart trouble a couple of years ago, that's remember? That's right, he did. Yeah, yeah. Keith, Keith is currently 78 years old when you think about it. Yeah, it's okay if he you doesn't know, dance around. Mick is around. 78 that's, as well. It's fine. I don't mind them just standing yeah. there. That's fine. Yeah, or like Phil Collins just sitting. But sure. I can't imagine I can't imagine Mick Jagger singing the way he does sitting down. You know what that's I can't the imagine? Kind of singing style. This is what triggered this whole thing. I saw this thing on Twitter this morning, and I tweeted in my facetious manner, um, I can't imagine what I would have thought in 1974 if I had learned that the Rolling Stones were going to be on a 60th anniversary tour. I mean, I... At, at, at the time, I think I was still thinking that, well, I hope I die before I get old is rock and roll, right? That's the way it works. Yeah. And um, it's really kind of and, – and for $500, for a Las Vegas-style sort of a thing, it's just – it's so it's so un-rock and roll. Mm. I, I mean, not that I care if it's rock and roll or not. but Yeah, that's an interesting point. Has rock and roll gotten too showy? Because – we so the the biggest show I saw was Pink Floyd doing the Wall, and that was probably the biggest spectacle for you know it took a long time before you had a spectacle of that scope, and they could only do two runs. They did one in Los Angeles and one in New York, and I think they did a couple shows in the UK afterwards. But that was it. It was just too big to move around, and now with the scale of what they're doing, I would love to see you know in in these films about bands you get the the time lapse photo of the crew setting up the stage. I'd want to see it for this. I really oh, would yeah, yeah. for something this big. That would be interesting. That is fun to see. It's like what, what it's like watching a building go up. Yeah. <laughs> it really is, but it's really fast. Yeah. They really do a great job putting that stuff together so fast. Well, not yeah. They're obviously not doing it fast. It's yeah. the whole point well, still, of the, no, they're in general, when you see the films from the seventies, they're doing it in a few hours. Yeah. They're doing it in half a day, maybe. Now it's gonna take a lot longer. I think where did I – maybe it was the Stones on the last tour. It took two days to set up and take it down, something like that. It sounds right. I think they have rotating um, – don't they They leapfrog? Well, that's what the Grateful Dead was doing back in 74 with the Wall of Sound. They had to have two sets of it because of the time it took. And in the Grateful Dead movie, you can see some of the setting up process going on. You can see how many speakers. And obviously, it was a lot more manual back then with, you know – people pulling ropes to get things up instead of having what do you call like big forklifts or whatever that they use now. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And they had knobs. They didn't have any computers. They that's, had to, That's right. I mean, can you imagine having to set up all that stuff with analog, whereas now you just pop it in, you measure the size of the arena, you say, okay, we do this, we do that, they're done. Interesting point. It They can probably automate that because, you know, the, the, the sound person will do the sound check and try and hear how it's sounding with the empty arena. And then any concert back then, the first couple songs sound bad because they've got to adjust it for all the people being there. Yeah. But now they can probably plan that. Yes. And know what... I think, didn't somebody tell us that they there, you can get um, information about various um, halls and... That was Chris Conacher where he was talking about digital signal processing. Yes, that's right. And you can actually, you can get the 
dimensions you can you can create that echo that room noise yeah. that room sound for anything in particular because they understand how the sound will work in those various places. I, I think it's even simpler they record with they record certain sounds with an audience and then they record certain sounds without an audience and the computer does some deep learning AI and just figures it out. Perfect. It's probably that's, simple. That's, I'll, so I'll bet that's a thing. I should look yeah. into it, you know? That's, yeah, we'll do that for our next episode. We're making it but, up. This could be complete th- science fiction for all we know. <laughs> a lot of these are outdoor shows. And uh, the only outdoor shows I ever saw, I never went to a big stadium show, but I did see an awful lot of outdoor shows in the Woman Skating Rink by Central Park. So that was small enough that you didn't have that problem of the sound like just not making it through the air and getting to the back. It's a lot different now, but of course they have speakers in the middle of the field in the stadium so the people in the back hear it timed with the right number of milliseconds delay and everything. It's all it's all calculated. But still, outdoor shows never sound as good. I don't. You know, to be honest with you, big, loud concerts, I don't like them. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I went to them because, hey, you went to them. But now I, I don't like the people. I don't like the noise. I don't like... I don't like the prices. I'd rather just watch a video, which is much more interesting and, and much more intimate. It's like, it's like, do you like to go to a football game and watch it, or do you like to stay at home and watch it on TV? Well, obviously on TV, because you've got all the angles, you've got you know, better sound mixing, better video controlling. When's the last time you saw a football game? Oh, um, maybe about 10 years ago. Yeah, okay. and I, so you and I went because my father-in-law used to get season tickets to our to our local sports ball team. And um, occasionally I would just, you know, get a, a set of four seats and would go and just, you know, see it. I don't, but that's no fun. You're sitting way the up above. You're not, is... What's the fun? Well, you don't get any commercials. That's uh, true. You don't. I could have brought my yeah, own. You get to drink the, yeah, you get to drink the beer and eat yeah, the hot dogs. I do that. I, when, when I was young, my father and my uncle had, they shared season tickets for the New York Jets. So I went a number of times. And it, it's an experience. It is. It's, it's the live experience. And, and I would say even better was when I went to see the New York Rangers play ice hockey because we had seats that were close enough and, you know, it's a smaller venue and it's a different thing. Come to think of it, I think I enjoyed the – and I'm not a sports guy. I think I enjoyed the crowd at the football games more than I en- – I've enjoyed crowds at rock concerts. Now, I don't know why that is exactly. There's a lot of camaraderie at a sports game, but there's a lot of camaraderie. Well, sometimes there's not camaraderie. At rock concerts, so many people are high. There's also a lot of posers at concerts. I mean, there's a whole... Yeah. There's a whole thing that goes on at concerts. But... uh, Or at least they used to. I don't know what they got like now. (laughs) What is it like to go to a concert anymore? I don't know. I don't want to know. I want to stay home. Yeah. I'll tell you, though, and we mentioned this before, when we talked about streaming live events, I mentioned that I would love to see the Rolling Stones live on my TV. I would pay for it. I'd pay 20 bucks, 30 sure. bucks. It would be, I mean, I know that I I'd know. I'd pay 100 bucks. I would pay 100 bucks because it would be worth it to see a really good, you know, well-planned, well-choreographed, well-photographed, well-filmed show. I'd pay 100 bucks for that. Yeah. Uh, even though, Even though they're just a Rolling Stones tribute band. They are the best one out there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Before we get to our next track picks, I want to plug a couple of things that we do. You can rehear an expanded version of this episode streamed for a full hour with music on Uncertain FM Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. 
That's at uncertain.fm, Sundays at 10 a.m. Eastern. And since we do this every two weeks, we post a current episode. And then every other week, we post an older episode so you can kind of catch up. So once again, that's at uncertain.fm, Sundays at 10 a.m. Eastern. And also, just a quick plug for our Patreon page. Just head over to patreon.com slash the next track. We could use your support. You can make a regular small donation, and that would help us out because we don't do ads. We don't want to be part of a network. We just want to do our own thing. Okay, you got the next track there, buddy? I listened to a recording by Mark Johnson last week called Overpass. Mark Johnson is a bass player, a jazz bass player. He played with Bill Evans back in the day. And this is a record for solo bass. Now, my first thought is like solo bass. Uh-oh. Not many people do solo bass records. It's got to be boring. And it wasn't boring. And now I, I'm picking this because I really do want to listen to it again. It was really – it was – attractive. It was interesting. It wasn't foot tapping, but I, I was apprehensive that a solo bass is just going to be boom, 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 boom. And it was really nice. I think there were a couple bits with some synthesizer, but most of it was really just bass or two basses. You know, he recorded two tracks. Bass players can be, I don't know, annoying because they're the way they think about music is very limited, right? But this was actually quite an interesting recording. So it's Overpass by Mark Johnson. It's on ECM Records and it came out last year, 2021. Doug, what have you got? I've Finally got a record I've been looking for for years. And it's, I didn't think it would be this rare. It's um, Nobody's Heroes by Stiff Little Fingers. Stiff Little Fingers was an Irish punk band from, I guess, 1979 through the mid-'80s. And, man, they cooked. They rocked. They were great. And there's one song on this album that I used to play all the time in college called Fly the Flag. And it's this great little anthemic little song. And it's never been available there's a live version that's always been available, but I could never find the, the studio cut of Fly the Flag, and I could never find this album. Finally, for some reason or another, it is now available, and it's a really, really great record. I always thought the cover was clever because the, the title of the album, Nobody's Heroes, you can only read it if you hold the album cover at like 14 degrees. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of letters all stretched out. It looks like a barcode. Yeah, it looks like a barcode. If you tilt it, if you can yeah. if you tilt it, you'll see it differently. I don't know when it became available, but I'm very excited because there's a lot of great punk songs on here that I, they just didn't replicate on later albums. So I'm just uh, very excited about it, and I cannot wait to fly the flag with Stiff Little Fingers and Nobody's Heroes. This was episode number 231 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. Follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining. It's your support that keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.